Today, we are beginning a, a new series on the book of Jonah. You know me, I like to preach kind of book by book. And so for the next four messages that I'll be preaching, they will come from the book of Jonah. And to my knowledge, in over 20 years of ministry, I have never preached a sermon that I can remember from this incredible book. Now, I'm immensely excited to begin this series because Jonah is not only packed with great doctrine, which I love, but it's a really practical, easy-to-grasp book. Very, uh, it's going to be very easy to apply to your life. There are those who look at the book of Jonah as an allegory, a fictional story that kind of points out some symbolic truth. But Jonah is clearly a real historical figure. The prophet Jonah is real, and the story is real. 2 Kings 14 tells us that he was a prophet to Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II there in the 8th century. Furthermore, Jesus, believe it or not, even refers historically to Jonah as recorded to in Matthew 12, 39, and 40, and then in the book of Luke. So when you think of the story of Jonah, what do you think of? The whale, right? The Bible calls it a great fish. But I love what Warren Worsby points out. He says that ultimately the story of Jonah is not about the great fish mentioned only four times in the whole book of Jonah. It's not even about the city of Nineveh, mentioned only nine times. Believe it or not, it's not even about, ultimately, the prophet Jonah, mentioned 18 times. The book is about God himself, who is mentioned 38 times in these four short chapters. And in this beautiful and exciting story, we get a glimpse of God's sovereignty. And I love this. We see that he is a God of great patience and a God of compassion. And I am grateful for that today. So that being said, that's a little background of the book of Jonah. I want to invite you to stand for just a moment. And we're going to uh, read Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. The Bible says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. That's a tragic verse, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and he said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And notice that God is a lowercase g. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. 
And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, at least he's honest, amen? Verse 11, and then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed, don't miss that, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Well, I want you to know something. I experienced an incredible victory this week. If you have teenage boys, you realize that everything in your house becomes a competition. My boys and I cannot even eat a meal without competing. It's like, I, I, I bet I can eat more than you, right? Or I bet I can finish my dinner quicker. Uh, like, that was something good to aspire for, right? Now, I hate to run. I hate it. But I do it every now and then just to work on my cardio. My son, my youngest, Connor, 15 years old, is actually a really good runner. So when we run, he can't just take kind of a leisurely jog with me. He's got to beat me and rub it in, you know, how many times he laps me around the track or whatever. And so this week, friends, listen, we were in my neighborhood, and it's a mile around my neighborhood. And we were running, and three-quarters of the way through, friends, I realized I'm ahead of Connor. Brothers and sisters, I pumped my chest out. I felt so good, and I kept running. And I realized, wait, I don't hear Connor behind me, like, trying to catch up. And I look back, and he's bent over. Looks like he's ready to hurl. I think he might be having an asthma attack. So I do what any responsible father would do. I finish the race and solidify my victory, and then I go back and check on him. Don't judge me. He's here this morning. He's fine, all right? Jonah is a runner. Jonah is a runner. One of the most helpful ways that I've heard this book outlined 
is to look at how he is running in each chapter. And over these next four weeks, I want to help us make sure we're running in the right direction. Amen? In chapter 1, Jonah is running from God. We're going to deal with that today. In chapter 2, he runs to God. In chapter 3, he runs with God. In chapter 4, tragically, he runs against God. And so we're going to begin this journey by considering what it looks like to run from God. So I'm going to break this chapter down into two sections. I want to look at Jonah's strategy in God's sovereignty. Jonah's strategy and God's sovereignty. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We're going to begin by looking at Jonah's strategy at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. Now I want you to, to consider the city of Nineveh, for a moment. This is, friends, a despicable place. One of the chief cities of Assyria. Nahum 3.1, another prophet talking about Nineveh, says, Woe to the bloody city, full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. Friends, this is a violent city. They are norm for, known for just horrible atrocities. I mean, they would torment and torture people. There was no just killing people. They would torment these victims. They rule by fear. They're greedy. They're liars. They're sinful. This is a cesspool of wickedness. Now, Assyria is not a current threat to Israel but in the past, they have been enemies of God's people. And now God says to Jonah, hey, I want you to go there and tell them how bad they are. And Jonah understandably does not want any part of this. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. So what's his strategy? I will just flee the presence of God. Look at verse 3. So Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish to the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. That's a hard city to say, Tarshish. <laughs> so he paid the fare, and he went into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You're not going to stop laughing every time I say it. I'm going to say it a hundred times now. Jonah, it's like he sees this cruise ship, right? He sees this cruise ship. He's like, man, I could really use a vacation right now. And he pays a fare, and he goes the opposite way of Nineveh, trying to flee the presence of God. He's running from the Lord. This is a prophet of God who runs from God. Now, this begs the question, why would somebody who says that they fear the Lord, as Jonah does, run from God? Because it's not a fear of like, oh, I'm scared. It's, it's a, a fear like I honor him. If you honor the Lord, why would you run from him? If you've ever been there as a Christian, you love God, but you've run from him for some season in your life. I'll tell you why I believe that we run from the Lord. Because at times, his will is very difficult. He will ask us to forgive people we don't want to forgive. He'll ask us to love people we don't want to love, go places we don't want to go, worship with people we may not want to worship with. Don't say amen to that. 
right? God will stretch us, and sometimes his will is very, very uncomfortable. And when God's plans line up with ours, friends, we're all about the presence of God. Give me his presence. Oh, Lord, I just long, you know, to to be in your presence. But when he asks us to do something we don't like, we tend to run away. So let me give you some application here, just an observation The Christian life is very difficult at times. This is not a road of comfort. Matthew 10, 38, Jesus says, Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is saying, listen, It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be painful to follow me at times. But if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. You know, I was thinking through this passage and just kind of applying it to my own life. And over the last 20 years of ministry, I love ministry. It's it's a joy. Uh, But there are really painful seasons. If you've ever been in ministry, you've got family members, you know that it can be a very, very trying and painful job at times. And over the years, you know, being hurt by different people or, or just stress or finances of the church, whatever it might be, there have been times I have thought to myself, you know what? I could do something else and I could make a lot more money and have a lot less drama in my life. I'm just being honest with you today. This isn't often, but it's happened a few times over the last 20 years. And I, there are times that I've actually strategized. Like, I could do my marketing gig full-time. Or I could go back into the computer field. Or I could just go back into business. And this would be a lot easier. And I start thinking about that. And when I'm in that mind frame, I know the Lord has called me to do this. And when I get into that mindset, I don't want to read my Bible I don't want to pray. I really don't even want to be at church. I have to because it's my job. But I don't want to be with you people because you're convicting, right? I would prefer to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, I wouldn't tell you that. I'd say, oh, yeah, I want to be in God's presence where there's fullness of joy. But in his presence, there's not just fullness of joy. If you're outside of his will, there's also conviction, His presence can be painful, but it's the road to fullness of joy. All right? So I understand this. Have you ever been there where you've not been walking in the will of God and you've just kind of wanted to evade his presence? Here's something that I've learned. God's will is not always the easy way, but it is the best way. And I'm grateful when I wasn't pursuing God that he was still pursuing me. And he kept me where he wanted me. So this is Jonah's strategy. I'll just flee from God, which is, you know, hilarious to me. The God who is omnipresent, where can you go to escape the presence of the Lord? And Jonah quickly finds out, friends, you can run, but you cannot hide. So that's his strategy. Secondly, let's look at God's sovereignty. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. 
Jonah's on his cruise, right? A great storm comes up on the water, and the ship is about to be destroyed. It's such a tumultuous storm. So let me give you another observation here. Yes, God's plan for your life is sometimes difficult, but not following God's plan is even more difficult. This is not an easier route for Jonah. This is a tougher route. Now, this is really interesting. Who is it that's responsible for the storm? This is a storm that's threatening the lives of all these sailors and Jonah, this prophet. Who's responsible for it? Listen, if, if we were in the boat together with, with a lot of Christians today and that storm arose, what would they do? Devil, I rebuke you. Friends, we give the devil sometimes way too much power, way too much credit. The only way he could do that is with permission from the Lord. The, our God is the one uh, who is in control of the wind and the waves. And this is not a storm sent by the devil to destroy Jonah. It's a storm sent by the Lord to save Jonah. See, the, the problem is we perceive things differently than the Lord. We would see a storm and immediately assume this is evil. But it's not evil. It's merciful by a gracious and all-knowing God. It's powerful. I love James 1, 2, who says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Not just one certain trial, but trials of various kinds. He's talking to Christians. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's powerful. As children of God, we don't look at storms in our life and go, oh, woe is me. But we count it joy because we know God is working all things together for our good and for his glory. It doesn't mean you have to enjoy it, but you count it as joy because it's doing something in you. And God will often use those trials and tribulations to help you. Now, that doesn't mean, obviously, there are times the enemy works against us, and we need to have wisdom and discernment and to know what's from God and, and, and what's not. But even when the enemy's working in our, our lives and coming against us, he, remember, he's on a leash, right? He only has as much power as what God uh, will allow him to have. And so I'm grateful that greater is he that's in us, amen, than he that is in the world. Jonah is now asleep, in the inner part of the ship, he can sleep. How many of y'all can sleep through anything? Some of you with young children, you know this, ladies, like you wake up if the baby like breathes or doesn't breathe from like no matter what it does, like you're waking up and your husband like that the baby's like whatever make, making all this noise and he's still asleep, right? Like that, that, that happens. Like a lot of us men, we can sleep through anything. And this is what Jonah is doing. And so these sailors... Uh, approach him and they ask him to call upon his lowercase g God so that they might be saved. These are pagan sailors, but they soon find out these false gods are of no help. So they do something. They cast lots, which is like rolling dice to see who might be responsible for bringing this turmoil upon them, and they discover it is Jonah. So they ask, understandably, for his credentials and he says, listen, I'm a Hebrew, and I serve the true God who created that sea and the dry land. 
and I've been fleeing from him. And so they ask him, Jonah, how do we stop this? We've already thrown our cargo overboard. How do we stop it? Now, this is interesting to me. The sailors are told to throw Jonah overboard, but they don't follow his instruction. They try to fix it themselves, and they try to row harder. And this is a side note, but this is a picture of the world's way to salvation. You tell them about Christ, and they say, oh, I can do it. I'm a pretty good person. I'll just row harder. But these sailors find out, I can't do it on my own. I need I need to obey what the Lord has said. Here's something else I see here. Things are not getting any better as they row harder. Application, our sin, our disobedience, friends. This is the fault of Jonah. Our disobedience doesn't just affect us, but friends, it affects all those around us. I think back in my life to times that I have really royally messed up. I think of when I've succumbed to some pretty horrible things in my Christian life. And I've experienced consequences, and those consequences have been painful, sure. But I feel like I can deal with those. What really bothers me is to see those choices as the head of my household affect my wife, affect my children, affect my extended family, affect my church. Our sin, our disobedience, when we refuse to follow the plan of God for our lives, friends, it affects so many more people than you. So we need to, we need to consider when we flirt with the idea of disobeying something God has asked us to do, who does this affect? It's not just me. Don't run from God. It doesn't just hurt you. It hurts all those around you. Now, it's plausible to believe that these sailors were actually converted to believe in the true and living God, which shows that even in our bad decisions, God is working. It's incredible. And it looks here like Jonah is done because they do indeed throw him overboard. But looks at, let's look at the final verse of this chapter, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish. To swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Friends, we see God's sovereignty at work again, don't we? He's not a God that commands only the wind and the waves. He commands even the fish of the sea. We have a God who is in control. And Tiffany, if you wouldn't mind to come up. We have a God who is in control powerful God. You know, we look at the world and sometimes we, we think of it as chaos and we think, what's God going to do? Like he's up there wringing his hands going, scratching his head going, I, I just don't know how I can fix this. Friends, it may look like chaos to us, but God is sovereign and his ultimate plans, his open, ultimate purposes will come to pass. It will come to pass. God is sovereign. And I, I love this thought. When, when Jonah is not pursuing God, God is pursuing Jonah. I love that. God is on this relentless pursuit of us. And there are times when we're weak and we, we are frail and, and we 
failed to submit to his plan. And God, out of grace, he's not striking us down. He's lovingly sending things into our lives to draw us back to him. It's incredible the way the Lord works. And this also tells me that he is a God of second chances. You know, Jonah, I mean, think about this. He's in the boat, and he says, listen, all he had to do was submit, and his life could have been spared. He didn't know that God was going to send this fish. For all he knows, he's going to go overboard, and he's going to drown. But he would rather die. He'd rather die than go where God said to go. Have you ever been there? I'd rather die than go there. I'd rather die than forgive her. I'd rather, I'd rather die then fix my marriage. Whatever it might be, you've probably been there where you've felt so disconnected from God's will, so against what God has for your life because you don't see the big picture that you said, Lord, just take me. I can't do it anymore. That's where Jonah's at. And he's thrown overboard, and it looks like he's done, but God, but God, appointed a great fish. <laughs> There's nothing God cannot do. He's thrown into a sea. How, what's God going to do? How's God going to save him? Just appoint a fish. Jonah doesn't want to swim to save himself. God will send a fish for him because God knows what's best for us. Amen? Let me ask you this. Have you been running for God? from God? We're not here to beat you up today. We're here to encourage you. The will of God is hard, but not following the will of God is horrendous. It's horrendous. What's God asking you to do that you're running from? Friends, we're told because of what Christ has done that we can boldly run to God. Sometimes we run from God because of our shame. Because of bad decisions, no, repent and run to God who is ready to forgive, who is ready to, to give you mercy. What an incredible God we serve. And let me just bring out the gospel as I close here real quickly. Jonah says, throw me overboard. Now Jesus in Matthew compares his death, his resurrection, to the story of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the well three days, remember Jesus is predicting his death, and he says, I'll die, and three days later, I'll be raised. You know what's interesting? These sailors were saved, these pagan sailors, because Jonah was willing to go overboard. Now, this was a result of Jonah's sin. Christ, who is sinless, he, is, he was willing to go overboard for us, to be thrown over, to die, so that we might be saved. And thank the Lord that death couldn't hold him. But three days later, <laughs> he was risen. Amen? And because of that, we have great hope. The, the sailors, they thought, we're done. We're done. But because Jonah was sacrificed, they were spared. Friends, that's a great picture of salvation. Because Jesus was sacrificed, we are 
saved. It's incredible. It's incredible. I want to invite you to stand. Let me encourage you this morning. Do not run from the Lord. This altar is open. I would encourage you to just come and pray. If maybe you've been running from the Lord, you guys can come. Uh, if you've been running from the Lord, make a decision today. Lord, I'm going to follow you. Because how many couldn't just say an amen to that, that the will of God is tough at times, but not being in his will is much tougher. Can I get a witness in this place today? Thank God he is a God of second chances. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you that you're a God of second chances. Today I pray, Lord, that nobody in this room would run from you, but Lord, we would run to you. We would run with you, partnering with you in ministry. And Father, thank you that you are indeed a God of second chances. Thank you that you're not done with us, that even when we've run from you, that you are pursuing us. But we don't take advantage of that, Lord. We don't take advantage of your grace. It's not a license to just do what we want. No. Lord, you are patient, but there will come a day when that patience runs out. So I pray today, if there's one running from you, especially if they don't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would run to you today. They would repent of their sins and call upon you. And for those of us who are Christians, the majority in this room, Lord, I would just pray that we would run to you. Maybe there's somewhere you've asked us to go, something you've asked us to do that we're running from. Or maybe it's some sin that we're just refusing to get rid of. Whatever it might be, God, may we turn it over to you today. Give us the strength, we ask. Thank you for pursuing us when we haven't even pursued you. In Jesus' name, amen.